Today is the 10th day of December. Welcome to the Daily Audio Bible. I am Brian. It's great to be here with you today as we bring another week to a close and gather ourselves around the global campfire for another step forward together. We are moving through a lot of territory uh, quite rapidly as we've been talking about over the last couple of days. So we have some new territory to move through in the Old Testament today. We read in its entirety the book of Joel yesterday, which leads us today to the book of Amos. And a good many biblical scholars believe that Amos may very well be the earliest collection of prophetic utterances that have been written down that are found in the Bible Amos prophesied in the mid-8th century B.C. And this is a time when the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah were experiencing peace and prosperity. And into that comes Amos, who wasn't a priest or, or trained for religious worship or leading religious worship. He, he seems to be an ordinary person living a basic life, the life of a shepherd and farmer. We don't know if he was like a commoner, like a day laborer, or even a shepherd, or or whether he owned his flocks and groves. We can tell that he was educated. We can tell that he was socially aware of what was going on around him. He lived in the city of Tekoa, and that's about 10 miles south of Jerusalem, So his home then would be in the southern kingdom of Judah. Ironically, his mission was to prophesy in the northern kingdom of Israel. And so probably he was sent just across the border to the city of Bethel. We may remember when the kingdoms divided, there was Solomon's son Rehoboam. And then there was this other guy that sort of the leader of the labor force, Jeroboam. And the kingdoms split with the ten northern tribes making Jeroboam their king, and he led the northern tribes into idolatry, setting up golden calves at the extremes of his kingdom, up in Dan and in Bethel, just at the border. Bethel was a hub for trade and commerce and idolatry. But the northern and the southern kingdoms were both experiencing peace and prosperity. The the kind of widespread peace and prosperity that they hadn't seen since Solomon. So it it may be weird that God would send some ordinary person to deliver a very, very severe message of judgment that was on its way. It, It would have been hard to deliver this message, but that's exactly what Amos was told to do. Because peace and prosperity had opened the door in the culture for corruption which was everywhere and the way that this was being uh, experienced or made visible is that the poor were being oppressed and greed was ruling the hearts of the leaders and Amos steps in and denounces this denounces preying upon the less fortunate which makes social justice a major theme in this book And it's funny, anytime I say those two words together, social and justice together, as it relates to some of the text in the Bible, 
I typically get emails of people saying, can't you just say justice? Right, because it's such a politically charged sort of thing. I'm not saying anything to comment on our current wrestling with what social justice might look like. There is justice, and then there is justice that governs society. And there is social justice or justice that governs a society that can't be enforced by a law. It's how we treat each other. This is what Amos is coming into. Wealth and prosperity, but a ton of greed and corruption and marginalization and oppression. And as we'll see as we read this, God is speaking into this. He's the one saying, you're not treating each other the way you should be treating each other. This is not how God's people treat one another. And it would seem that we would get it by now. I mean, this is thousands and thousands of years ago that this is written. It seems like we would have figured that piece out by now, but we haven't. We wrestle with the same kinds of stuff in our own lives today. But Amos comes in and reminds everybody that nobody is as powerful as they think they are and that God is way, way, way more powerful than we can even comprehend. It's God's world. He created it. It belongs to God. He is sovereign over all things and all people. So if we approach Amos with a bit of humility, that this belongs to God, and things should be done the way God would like them to be done, because that would be right and true and righteous, then there's something for us in the book of Amos. And so let's begin. Amos chapters 1, 2, and 3 today. This message was given to Amos, a shepherd from the town of Tekoa in Judah. He received this message in visions two years before the earthquake, when Uzziah was king of Judah and Jeroboam II, the son of Jehoash, was king of Israel. This is what he heard and saw. The Lord's voice will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem. The lush pastures of the shepherds will dry up. The grass on Mount Carmel will wither and die. This is what the Lord says. The people of Damascus have sinned again and again, and I will not let them go unpunished. They beat down my people in Gilead as grain is threshed with iron sledges. So I will send down fire on King Hazael's palace, and the fortresses of King Ben-Hadad will be destroyed. I will break down the gates of Damascus and slaughter the people in the valley of Avon. I will destroy the ruler in Bet eden and the people of Aram will go as captives to Kir, says the Lord. This is what the Lord says. The people of Gaza have sinned again and again, and I will not let them go unpunished. They sent whole villages into exile, selling them as slaves to Edom. So 
I will send down fire on the walls of Gaza, and all its fortresses will be destroyed. I will slaughter the people of Ashdod and destroy the king of Ashkelon. Then I will turn to attack Ekron, and the few Philistines still left will be killed, says the Sovereign Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. The people of Tyre have sinned again and again, and I will not let them go unpunished. They broke their treaty of brotherhood with Israel, selling whole villages as slaves to Edom. So I will send down fire on the walls of Tyre, and all its fortresses will be destroyed. This is what the Lord says. The people of Edom have sinned again and again, and I will not let them go unpunished. They chased down their relatives, the Israelites, with swords, showing them no mercy. In their rage, they slashed them continually and were unrelenting in their anger. So I will send down fire on Timon, and the fortresses of Bozrah will be destroyed. This is what the Lord says. The people of Ammon have sinned again and again, and I will not let them go unpunished. When they attacked Gilead to extend their borders, they ripped open pregnant women with their swords. So I will send down fire on the walls of Rabbah, and all its fortresses will be destroyed. The battle will come upon them with shouts, like a whirlwind in a mighty storm, and their king and his princes will go into exile together, says the Lord. This is what the Lord says. The people of Moab have sinned again and again, and I will not let them go unpunished. They desecrated the bones of Edom's king, burning them to ashes. So I will send down fire on the land of Moab, and all the fortresses in Kiriot will be destroyed. The people will fall in the noise of battle, as the warriors shout and the ram's horn sounds and I will destroy their king and slaughter all their princes, says the Lord. This is what the Lord says. The people of Judah have sinned again and again, and I will not let them go unpunished. They have rejected the instruction of the Lord, refusing to obey His decrees. They have been led astray by the same lies that deceived their ancestors. So I will send down fire on Judah, and all the fortresses of Jerusalem will be destroyed. This is what the Lord says. The people of Israel have sinned again and again, and I will not let them go unpunished. They sell honorable people for silver and poor people for a pair of sandals. They trample helpless people in the dust and shove the oppressed out of the way. Both father and son sleep with the same woman, corrupting my holy name. At their religious festivals, they lounge in clothing their debtors put up as security. In the house of their gods, they drink wine bought with unjust fines. But as my people watched, I destroyed the Amorites, though they were as tall as cedars and as strong as oaks. 
I destroyed the fruit on their branches and dug out their roots. It was I who rescued you from Egypt and led you through the desert for 40 years so you could possess the land of the Amorites. I chose some of your sons to be prophets and others to be Nazarites. Can you deny this, my people of Israel? asks the Lord. But you caused the Nazarites to sin by making them drink wine. And you commanded the prophets, shut up. So I will make you groan like a wagon loaded down with sheaves of grain. Your fastest runners will not get away. The strongest among you will become weak. Even mighty warriors will be unable to save themselves. The archers will not stand their ground. The swiftest runners won't be fast enough to escape. Even those riding horses won't be able to save themselves. On that day, the most courageous of your fighting men will drop their weapons and run for their lives, says the Lord. Listen to this message that the Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel, against the entire family I rescued from Egypt. From among all the families on earth, I have been intimate with you alone. That is why I must punish you for all your sins. Can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? Does a lion ever roar in a thicket without first finding a victim? Does a young lion growl in its den without first catching its prey? Does a bird ever get caught in a trap that has no bait? Does a trap spring shut when there's nothing to catch? When the ram's horn blows a warning, shouldn't the people be alarmed? Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has planned it? Indeed, the Sovereign Lord never does anything until He reveals His plans to His servants, the prophets. The lion has roared, so who isn't frightened? The Sovereign Lord has spoken, so who can refuse to proclaim His message? Announce this to the leaders of Philistia and to the great ones of Egypt. Take your seats now on the hills around Samaria and witness the chaos and oppression in Israel. My people have forgotten how to do right, says the Lord. Their fortresses are filled with wealth taken by theft and violence. Therefore, says the Sovereign Lord, an enemy is coming. He will surround them and shatter their defenses then he will plunder all their fortresses. This is what the Lord says. A shepherd who tries to rescue a sheep from a lion's mouth will recover only two legs or a piece of an ear. So it will be for the Israelites in Samaria, lying on luxurious beds, and for the people of Damascus, reclining on couches. Now listen to this and announce it throughout all Israel, says the Lord, the God of heavenly armies. On the very day I punish Israel for its sins, I will destroy the pagan altars at Bethel. The horns of the altar will be cut off and fall to the ground, and I will destroy the beautiful homes of the wealthy, their winter mansions and their summer houses too. 
all their palaces filled with ivory, says the Lord. Revelation 2, 1 through 17. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. But this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans just as I do. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Smyrna. This is the message from the one who is the first and the last, who was dead but is now alive. I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They say they are Jews, but they are not, because their synagogue belongs to Satan. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for ten days, but if you remain faithful even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Pergamum. This is the message from the one with the sharp two-edged sword. I know that you live in the city where Satan has his throne, yet you have remained loyal to me. You refused to deny me even when Antipas, my faithful witness, was martyred among you there in Satan's city. But I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam, who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. In a similar way, you have some Nicolaitans among you who follow the same teaching. Repent of your sin or I will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. 
To everyone who is victorious, I will give some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven. And I will give to each one a white stone, and on the stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. Okay, I would very, very rarely jump in here, but I'm just reminding us what I mentioned yesterday as we began the book of Revelation. We're going to continue to move through the scriptures and deal with each of the minor prophets as we always do. But one year, we went all the way through the book of Revelation trying to look from a scholarly perspective at some of the major ways that different sections of the book have been interpreted. And that is going to be included beginning today at the very end. So, after the prayers and prayer requests, I'll come back on and we'll move through each day what we've read in the book of Revelation beginning today. So just a heads up for that, and let's move forward. Psalm 129, a song for pilgrims ascending to Jerusalem. From my earliest youth, my enemies have persecuted me. Let all Israel repeat this. From my earliest youth, my enemies have persecuted me but they have never defeated me. My back is covered with cuts, as if a farmer had plowed long furrows. But the Lord is good. He has cut me free from the ropes of the ungodly. May all who hate Jerusalem be turned back in shameful defeat. May they be as useless as grass on a rooftop, turning yellow and only half-grown. Ignored by the harvester, despised by the binder. And may those who pass by refuse to give them this blessing. The Lord bless you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. Proverbs 29, 19 and 20. Words alone will not discipline a servant. The words may be understood, but they are not heeded. There is more hope for a fool than for someone who speaks without thinking. Father, we thank you for your word. We love you, Lord. We thank you for all of this new territory that we are moving through feels like we've speeded up. It's how the year feels. But it's just day by day, step by step, just like it's always been. And so Holy Spirit, come, plant what we've read in our lives. Let us receive and understand what's being said in the book of Amos. Let us explore and receive and understand what we're reading in the book of Revelation. Let us explore and read and understand what we're reading from Psalms and Proverbs. Lead us into all truth and pray with grateful hearts, knowing that only you can, but that you, you will. You desire that we might walk in the truth. And so lead us there, we pray. In the name of Jesus, we ask. Amen.
DailyAudioBible.com is home base. And uh, that is where you find out what is going on around here. The Daily Audio Bible app puts that in the palm of your hand and you can download the app free from whatever app store is connected to your smart device. So check that out. It is Christmas time and so it's Christmas time here on the Global Campfire as well. The Daily Audio Bible Family Christmas Box for 2022 is available in the Daily Audio Bible Shop which you can navigate to either on the web or in the app. Just go to the shop and you'll find a Christmas category and the Christmas box is in that category. And we have filled it full of resources and goodies for the season that we are in. And there are things in there that you'll perhaps want to keep and things that you will perhaps want to give away. Check it out in the Daily Audio Bible shop. And then also the Christmas music that is available for your downloading or your streaming purposes as you create the soundtrack to the season. There are a number of things that you can listen to from the Global Campfire here. Uh, You can look up Joe Parr, my wife, who is one of the leaders at Daily Audio Bible Chronological and who is an amazing vocalist. Uh, That's what she did. That's what we did before, before the Daily Audio Bible came into our lives. And so there are a number of Christmas songs from her that are available online. Then there is the Family Christmas Album, a beautiful instrumental Christmas album that really made it to be the kind of soundtrack that we would use when we, you know, when it's the end of a long day and it's Christmas time and you shut all the lights off and maybe there's a fire in the fireplace and just the Christmas lights are on and you're just kind of drinking in the season grabbing those uh, rare-to-find moments of serenity in the silence. Family Christmas is made to be the soundtrack for that kind of time. So you can find that wherever you stream music or buy music. Just look for my name and Family Christmas. And then there's another uh, really beautiful, just beautiful, hauntingly beautiful um, contemplative Christmas album that we released last year from Max. Maxwell Harden, my son. And that one is called Christmas Time. And it is a beautiful Christmas project as well. And so there's some uh, Christmas music from the family here, from our family to yours here around the global campfire. Put that in rotation as you move through your season. If you want to partner with the Daily Audio Bible, first of all, humbly, thank you. We wouldn't be a global campfire. There wouldn't be a global campfire to come to. We wouldn't be doing this if we weren't in this together. And so as we approach the end of the year, thank you humbly for your partnership. There is a link on the homepage at dailyaudiobible.com. If you're using the app, you can press the give button in the upper right hand corner. For the mailing address is P.O. Box 1996, Spring Hill, Tennessee, 37174. And as always, if you have a prayer request or encouragement, you can hit the hotline button in the app. That's the little red button up at the top. Or you can dial 877-942-4253. And that's it for today. I'm Brian. 
I love you. And I'll be waiting for you here. Tomorrow. Hey, Daily Auto Bible family. It's John from Westminster, Massachusetts. It's the sixth day of December, 340th day of the year. I wanted to call in and just pray to and for a couple people that called into the sixth or their, their messages aired on the sixth uh, program today. So um, one would be Sparky, I believe it was you. Uh, you didn't leave your name, but you were talking about um, how you're really feeling uh, convicted in your heart um, and to be real careful about saying that you're a son of God, but not acting like one. Amen, brother. As a brother in Christ, as a follower of Jesus like you, as someone with their heart on fire for the Lord and uh, and someone who's basically, you know, rooted to Jesus. And that is the, the aim of your life is to have a heart after God. This will be a continuous journey, my friend, and it's a precious precious journey with a lot of joy in it and I know you're on the right track my friend you're on that narrow path because the spirit is prompting you to be careful of the way that you're living your life right that we're we should be you know a beautiful fragrant aroma for Jesus and if we're not then something's not quite right you're being transformed and made new each and every day and you're an amazing gift, not only to this community, of course, but to the world and all those that you touch in it. Uh, so I'm going to be praying for you about that, my friend. We're all on this journey together. And then also people on the water, um, the dad of people on the water. You called in, didn't leave your name. My daughter, Leah, is a first-year student at college as well and is struggling very similarly to the way that your son is. So... You can bet that people on the water is going to be in my prayer like my daughter Leah is. And for everybody out there that's got a son or a daughter in school that's really having a tough time right now, but is in Jesus. We pray. Good morning, Daily Audio Bible family. This is Tate from Colorado, and I am calling in this morning because I believe the young man said his name was People on the Water from Indiana. 19-year-old um, young man, you are on my heart. I have three daughters who are 20, 18, and 16 who have often expressed the same sentiments, especially over the last couple of years. And my 20-year-old daughter is in the same place you are, even as recently as last night, calling me crying and just that feeling of despair and hopelessness and the angst of not knowing where your life is headed and what to do next. And I know many youth around the world are feeling the same way, but I specifically want to lift you up in prayer this morning. Whatever your name is, God knows it. Heavenly Father, I lift up this young man to you this morning. I want to beg you for your mercy and grace over his life, that you would fill him with a peace that passes understanding. I pray off the spirit of despair. I pray off the spirit of hopelessness. I pray off the spirit of worthlessness. Lord, help him to know who he is in you and to most of all, Lord, that the right people would be in his life to guide him and direct him, to remind him of the next steps that he can take, to remind him of his worth, to remind him of how loved he is. He needs people with skin on, Lord. It's too hard to just do that sometimes, imagining and knowing that you're there, but not being able to feel you. So Lord, please send him people with skin on to give him this guidance that he needs Reach inside his heart, Lord, and hold him tight. Help him to know that he does have purpose and that he will find his path. Thank you so much for loving us and for loving him. And young man, you are going to stay in my prayers. God bless you. 
people on the water, please don't quit. As a teacher and as a parent, I want to encourage you not to quit. Don't quit. I remember Moses and the children of Israel in the Bible. God said to them, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. And you need to do that, even now. I heard your father's message a few days ago, and then I heard your message today, December 7th. And I've been praying for you. I've been always praying for you because I really was impressed with your commitment to the Lord and the way you pray and encourage everyone else. And today, people on the water, I want to encourage you. Don't quit. Quitting is not going to help you. I think it's going to make you feel worse. Just stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. Oh God and Heavenly Father, I pray for people on the water. Even now I pray that you would encourage his heart and Lord help him to believe that you are able to get him through these difficult times. This will pass, Lord, but help him to believe that and to trust you and to put everything that he knows about you, about your love, your forgiveness, and your care in his life and help him to stand, stay the course even now. Lord, I just bless him now and I put lane before you. I cover him in your blood and your protection. I pray that you'd guard his mind from the enemy. And I give you praise and I give you thanks now for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Randolph from Toronto. Good morning, um, Daily Audio Bible family. My name is Makish. I am asking for your prayers for my baby boy who is battling mentally. Um, he is on mental health medications. Uh, for some reason, um, and the nurses explained this, um, he doesn't feel he needs them because he doesn't know himself that he's going through this. I am praying that God will work a miracle on his mind. I know that God can do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we can ask or even think according to the power that works within us. So I pray for everyone, anyone that's battling mental health. I pray that God would cover your minds with peace, blanket it with peace and joy and allow clarity. And I believe God for my son and I trust God for my son. I will continue to pray for you. Brian and Jill, thank you. I've been listening to you for the past, I wanna say six years. And every year after year after year is still a blessing for me. You guys start my day with the word. God bless you all and have a great day. All right, let's talk about the book of Revelation for a second. So we got started with that yesterday when John says he was in the spirit on the Lord's day and he, he saw some things. There was a voice like a trumpet that told him to write these things down and to send them to seven churches. And these weren't metaphorical churches or allegorical churches. These were real churches. 
some of the earliest churches that we know about. So the church in Ephesus, in Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, and Philadelphia, and Laodicea. So those were the instructions. And when he turned around to see who was talking to him, he saw more things. He saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, he saw Jesus. And we get this um, incredible picture of Jesus, this incredible depiction where Jesus is standing in a long robe and he's got a gold sash and, and his hair is all white like snow and his eyes are burning like flames of fire and his feet is like burnished bronze and his voice like was like a rush of, of many waters and he's holding seven stars in his hand and out of his mouth comes a sharp sword and his face is shining like the sun, full blown, full strength sun. So John, like all of us would, fell down as though dead. But Jesus comforts him. He tells him to not be afraid. He's the first and the last. That he died, but he's now alive forever. And he holds the keys of death and Hades. And John needs to write down this stuff. And right off the bat, we have some imagery. So we have seven golden lampstands. And these lampstands represent the churches. The seven churches. But what do lampstands do? Well, they hold lamps, right? So they hold the light. They hold the flame. So using this symbolism, the lampstand is the church, right? The faith community and the light is their witness of the gospel of Jesus, right? The, the light shines in the darkness. But Jesus is also holding seven stars in his hand, and these represent the angels of the seven churches. And uh, what the symbolism means there has been debated for a long time. These could be actual angels who are the guardian angels of the seven churches, but it's also thought that these seven stars could be the pastors of those churches, right? Or the priests or presbyters of those churches. Because what follows, what we started to read today, are seven brief letters. And they're addressed to these angels. So like when we begin our reading today, we begin to the angel of the church in Ephesus. And uh, all of these little letters are to the angels of the church. So you can see why that's a little complicated. Because we have the cosmic Christ, the resurrected Jesus appearing to John, the human, being told to address these little letters to angels so it's like you have God coming and appearing to a human being who is instructing the human being to then tell the guardian angels a message. So you can see why these stars or angels have been looked at as symbols for the church leaders. Because the contents of these little letters are specific to the, the human church. Like the church in Ephesus was a real church made up of real people. And each of these little notes speak... Uh, directly into what that church is physically, humanly facing. And it's these little notes, these, these little communications from Jesus to the churches that we begin to get into today. So first up was Ephesus. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. So Jesus is saying, I'm holding you in my hand and I'm walking among you. And I know what's been going on. I know what you're going through. So Jesus 
commends the church at Ephesus because they've been in, they've endured patiently, they've toiled, they've kept the faith, they've uh, resisted false doctrine and false teachers, false apostles, and a lot of all of that that was going on, all of this false teaching and stuff, we see in the writings of Paul and we, we saw in Peter and in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John and Jude. And we talked about that when, when we read them. Here in Revelation, we're seeing this church, the church at Ephesus, has successfully been able to go back to the beginning, to what they were told in the first place, and hold on to that. So Jesus commends them for that, but he says, I do have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first, right? So your first love. So, so look at that. Look at where you were at first and look at where you are now and see how far you have fallen and repent and do the works you did at first. Because if you don't, I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. So what is the first love that they abandoned? it's not likely that it was their love for Jesus because Jesus had just commended them for staying true. So a good many scholars would agree that the first love that they lost was their light in the darkness, their witness of the gospel of Jesus. So they've done well in holding on to the truth, but they had originally expected this, this change, this sudden change of the world to have happened a long time ago and now we're getting into a new generation and it still hasn't happened and so they've stopped talking about it sharing the light sharing the good news into the world so they are a community of faith they are all in this together they are holding on to Jesus they are holding on to the things that they were first taught but they've lost their passion to share this good news and Jesus is telling them they need to repent from that and reignite the passion that they had at first to rescue everyone by sharing the good news of Jesus. Otherwise, there's no need for the lampstand. It's not shining light in the darkness. And so Jesus says he'll remove the lampstand. And then we have this little note to the church in Smyrna, where Jesus tells them he knows that they're suffering and that they're poor, but spiritually they're rich. He knows that they're being slandered by people who are claiming to be Jews but aren't. They're actually part of the synagogue of Satan. And Jesus is encouraging them to stay true that they're, uh, they're going to be persecuted. But if they're faithful all the way to death, then they will receive the crown of life. So the probable backstory here has a lot to do with the Roman Empire's posture toward Christianity. From a, a wider cultural perspective, like the Roman Empire cultural perspective, this belief in Jesus was just part of Judaism. That's its origins. But most of the Jews, they were not on board at all. And in fact, were in, in opposition to these teachings about Jesus. So they had no problem being vocal about denouncing followers of Jesus and saying that they had nothing to do with Judaism. So they would slander the Christians, marginalizing them. And so a clear distinction between Jews and Christians was developing. So in this little note to the church in Smyrna, Jesus says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you're rich. 
And I also know about the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but they're of a synagogue of Satan. So that's what's likely going on here. And Jesus is simply saying, I see you. I see this. And I can see that it's going to lead to some trouble and some suffering. And I'm telling you that if you'll stay true, even if that means you have to die, you're not going to die. You're going to receive the crown of life. And then lastly, in our reading today, we have this uh, little letter to the church at Pergamum. And in it, Jesus commends their loyalty, their faithfulness to them. He says, I know where you dwell. I know where you are. And you're where Satan's throne is. And from a biblical scholarship perspective, like there's not many people that would say Pergamum. That's where the actual throne of Satan is. Rather, it's thought that this is just referring to the false idol worship that is pervasive in all of these cities, some more than others. I mean, there were large temples. When we read through the Bible, we think of the temple in Jerusalem as this amazing pinnacle, an awe-inspiring structure. And it was. But in the Roman Empire, they worshipped many, many gods. There were many, many temples, some far more ornate than the temple in Jerusalem had ever been. Temples with a, a vast horde of priests and all of the support staff that would take to run something like that. Pergamum was the first city in that region to build a temple to the, to the emperor, to Augustus, for the cult of emperor worship. So this is what we think is being referred to here. So Jesus is commending them that in, in spite of their marginalization and persecution, even, even with some dying, for example, a person named Antipas, who Jesus calls my faithful witness, was a person who was killed. Unfortunately, like we do not know who Antipas is, which is kind of a bummer. I want to know who Antipas is because Jesus mentions him by name. Unfortunately, from at least a scholarly perspective, we don't know for sure. What we do know is that this person was a witness who was killed in Pergamum. But anyway, Jesus commends them for their loyalty. But, he says, I have a few things against you. You have some there. So some of you, some, some there in the community of faith hold to the teachings of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. And you also have some who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. And the Nicolaitans are another thing that's hard to pin down exactly. But here's a thought. Balaam is mentioned and so Balak was a king and he summoned Balaam to curse the wandering children of Israel in the desert and he couldn't curse them he could only bless them but as tradition holds what Balaam did was later to suggest to Balak that basically he send the ladies in if, if the women could get the attention of the men who were wandering, they would go with the ladies and be seduced. And uh, so they would be seduced through sex, but eventually that would seduce them to the worship of the other gods. 
and that happened. And I mean, we've we've read through most of the Bible now, and we can see that the problem of worshiping other gods is a pervasive problem in the Bible. And so the thought here is that this is what was happening. And it's a problem that we saw earlier in, in some of the letters in the New Testament. People thought an imminent change was going to happen. The end of humanity as we know it, the introduction of the family of God, uh, of which Jesus was the firstborn. And so the time remaining with uh, the human experience as we know it, or as they knew it, was coming to an end and it didn't matter what they did. It didn't matter if they assimilated into their culture and went to the temples of other gods and participated because they didn't believe in those gods and they weren't real anyway. And many of the cultic practices of these other gods that were being worshipped all over the place included temple prostitution as part of the worship. And this was kind of spilling into the church. On the one hand, people had no problem going to other temples, having sex with the temple prostitutes, all that kind of stuff, because it didn't matter anyway. And then there were those who wouldn't go into the temple and worship these other false gods, but they had no problem having sex with whoever they wanted to have sex with because it didn't matter anyway. And then this begins to seep into the church itself in the way that they observe the Eucharist or communion. This would be a feast, a love feast. And we have other examples in the New Testament of these things getting out of control. And so this uh, sexual component of the culture was seeping into the church, resulting in sexual immorality. And we know that this kind of stuff was happening because there are witnesses to it in the New Testament. And in some ways, this worked to marginalize the believers. They began to get this weird, convoluted reputation of a religion of incest, right? So because the believers all felt like they were a part of the same family, the family of God, and they called each other brother and sister, and the reputation of these love feasts wasn't so great, and in some cases led to sexual immorality in the church. So you have people who are claiming to be brothers and sisters, having sex with each other. There you go. You have this religion of incest. Now, obviously, this isn't like the teaching that they heard from the first. This was obviously never talked about or condoned or as suggested by the apostles. The apostles are totally against this. And it's not the wider teaching of the church at large. But because it's so juicy and over the top, you know, rumors spread. This is how stereotypes begin. And so it's thought that this is some of the stuff that the Nicolaitans were doing. So in the case of Ephesus, the first church that we have this little note to from Jesus, he commends them for shutting that down. In fact, he says that he hates that. But in the case of the church in Pergamum, we see that it's present and he's calling it out. So that's how far we got today. But we see at the beginning of the book of Revelation is some notes to specific churches, and we can see that they are going through different things. And Jesus is encouraging them specifically, but also calling them out specifically. So like in Ephesus, the problem isn't that they're not holding on to the true faith. The problem is that they've lost their first love. It's not shining. They're not passionate about shining out into the culture and affecting the culture. In the case of like Pergamum that we just talked about, the problem isn't that they're unwilling to engage the culture. They're doing that just fine. But in some cases, they're doing that way over the top and engaging in a way that isn't shining the light of the gospel 
but is exploiting their freedom in Christ so that they can, they can do whatever they want. And it's a problem. And Jesus asks them to repent. And there's lots of jumping off places that we can uh, apply this to our own life. I mean, what would Jesus commend you on? What would he say? You're doing this really, really, really well. But I do have this against you. There is this problem. And you need to repent. Because this is going to take you where you don't want to go. Jesus, we invite you into that. Because even as the words are spoken, things begin to bubble up. And your kindness, your kindness is so apparent. You begin all of these little notes, not with what's being done wrong, but with what's being done right. And so we listen for those words, Holy Spirit. How, how are we doing things well? This encourages us so deeply that it exposes the things that we need to repent of for what they are. And we invite your Holy Spirit to speak to us individually and personally. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.